Welcome to the Next Level Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Hart, the results manifestation coach for women. I am on a mission to help them just like you to break through your limiting beliefs, your old programming and paradigms to truly manifest a life that you want, not what everyone else in your world and in society tells you that you should have, but what you want. You are in for such a treat because what we're going to be doing in this show is to help you unlock the secrets to manifest in that life. Where those secrets exist, they exist in your mind. And our goal through these episodes is to really help you unlock the secrets to take your life to the next level to manifest a life that you love. So whether you want more money, more freedom, to have more impact, better relationships, you want better health, happiness, whatever your goal is, we are here to support you in achieving it. Tune in to this podcast every single week like it's your job, because I promise you, it's going to create massive change in your life. So let's do this. Hey there, welcome back to Next Level Woman. I am your host, Dr. Lisa Hart, and I'm so happy you're here today. Today, I have a very powerful guest. She didn't always realize she had such power, but her story will inform you about that. Uh, And I'm going to let her tell you most of her story, but I want to just give you a little tidbit to introduce. My guest today is Lindsay Dawn Parks. She's a transformational breakthrough coach whose mission is to help as many women as possible to heal from the trauma of toxic relationships, find meaning and potential, and build the life, business, or career, and relationship of their dreams. She is a trauma-informed coach and an expert in discovering the way narcissistic abuse trauma infiltrates every area of your life and being, and then helping you to heal it to thrive in the very best ways you have always deserved. So ah, that's so powerful. It's such a common issue. And I'm so glad that you are helping people with that. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes. So why don't you uh, just introduce yourself? Okay. Um, Yeah. In addition to what you just said, I am, I'm, I'm a Canadian. I live on the East coast of Canada. I am the mother of 14 children. Yes, they're all mine. Yes, they're all they're they're all singletons because I know you're asking yourself that right now. <laughs> um, they're between the ages of five and 30. And I, as was already mentioned, I'm a coach. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so yes, you know, people look at me funny when I tell them I have six children. So I bet you do get some some funny looks, but that's just the way it is. Now, tell us your story, because that's really powerful. Okay, I was I was raised in a home, um, the baby of, of three girls. My father was a narcissist. He was quite abusive, and he chose me as his scapegoat. Hmm. And what that means, for those who don't know, is that all family problems were blamed on me. Didn't matter how good I was. It didn't matter how much I tried, it didn't, nothing mattered. I was always the one that he blamed for everything that went on. 
And he convinced everyone in my family and my extended family that I was the problem. Wow, that must have been terrible. How old were you when you realized this was happening? I actually didn't really realize the extent of it until the last couple of years when I began studying it. I always knew that there was something wrong. And I always knew that my sisters were treated much better than me, but everyone in the family denied it and said that we were all treated the same. And I just wasn't grateful enough, you know? So I would point out things like, you know, for example, um, one time I brought home a 100% on it on a test from school. And my dad looked at me and he said, where the, you know, F word is the other, or, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I brought home 99%. And he said, where the F is the other 1%. And my sister, who was older than me, right after me, told him she got 80% and she got, you know, great job, honey. I'm, I'm so proud of you. And so uh, that basic, that, that story of me getting 99% and her getting 80%, me getting scolded and told it wasn't good enough and her being told 80% was fine, basically summed my entire childhood up. No matter what I did, no matter how perfect I tried to be, it was never quite good enough. Wow. That must have made you think that there was something wrong with you somehow, at least subconsciously. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. When a child is raised like that, they believe that there is something very, very deeply wrong with them that they can't see. And then eventually they end up getting into a relationship with someone normally who treats them the same way. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I did. So at the age of 16, I um, moved in with a 22 year old. I hadn't quite meant to move in with him. He needed a temporary place to stay because his, he couldn't stay in the situation that he was living in. And my dad had always let my sister's boyfriend stay with us for short periods of time. So I asked him if, if my boyfriend could stay with us for a short period of time. And my dad said, no, but he said that he would pay me to move out and move into an apartment with this man. And keep in mind, I was 16 years old. So my dad was paying me to move in with a 22 year old man. And so, you know, at 16 and because my dad didn't treat me very well, I figured, okay, well, let, let's do this. And at this point, this 22 year old man was in what we call the love bombing stage. He was trying to pretend that he was a good and decent man treating me well. So I thought, okay, great. I'm, I'm getting away from my dad. I'm getting away from my family and I'm moving in with someone who actually loves me. So, okay, fine. Um, within a very short period of time, basically the day I moved in with him, his entire behavior changed. He became a completely different person. And so within a few months, I had asked my dad what, if I could move back in with him. Keep in mind, I am still 16 years old here. <laughs> And my wow. dad said, no, that I'd made my bed, that I needed to sleep in it, and that I deserved everything that was being done to me. Wow. So at 16 years old, I was trapped. Wow. Then we got pregnant with our first child, my second child. Um, I didn't, my first child that wasn't living, excuse me, wasn't living with me. So, you know, she, she, she was never around this so she's 30. She, she's out on her own now. Obviously, she's married. But our first child is our now 27-year-old son. So I, I, you know, I got pregnant with him. And, and then it just got worse from there. Hmm. And has your dad to this date ever said, do you still have a 
conversation with him even to even explore this further or have you just separated yourself from all that? My dad passed away a few years ago, but um, until his death, I deserved everything that I got. Hmm. And until his death, he continued to make sure that I had no, no family around me. He would hold family meetings without me and he would tell me what the family meetings were about, etc. So would my ex-husband because he was always involved with those family meetings as well. And he would come home from work because he worked for my dad. He would come home from work and say, today there was a family meeting about you. And these are all the things we were discussing about you. And it was all these this horrific lies that were, you know, not even remotely close to the truth. And I would say to, to my then husband, I would say, well, did you correct them? Like, did you tell them that that's not true? And he'd be like, no, I didn't need to. Well, now knowing what I know about abusers, I know that he was very involved in those conversations. He was where all the lies were coming from between him and my dad. And it's, it's a specific type of abuse called triangulation where they actively turn all of the people in your life against you and you against them by telling them lies about you and then telling you lies about them. So I don't actually know whether or not these family meetings were occurring. I assume they were. Most likely they were because I no longer have my sisters in my life and they both took my ex-husband's side. And uh, so I assume that they were, but, you know, it is, it is, it's called triangulation. Um, wow. Higher situation. Mm-hmm. And it's specifically meant to make the victim feel like they're completely alone. And the problem is all them. Because if they have everyone in their life eventually accusing them of the same things, whether they see it or not, they will begin to believe that those things are true about them because everyone eventually begins to say them. You know, wow. I've, in the last two years, I have since found out that my ex-husband would then go to my closest friends and feed them all of these stories. And that's why they would eventually come back with these lies. But I didn't know that then. I just thought people were seeing something that I, didn't, that I couldn't see. Wow. And I was looking through your bio and you talked about growing up in a cult, basically, right? And I'm wondering, did I get that confused? The cult came later, actually. Um, Oh, okay. I was going to ask you how that played into it, but that wasn't even the case. These people were just, do they even realize they're doing this? They do. They do know exactly what they're doing. There, there are people who believe that they don't. They, they don't know. They can't help it. But if they didn't know when they couldn't help it, they would do it to everyone. But they don't. They do it only to chosen victims. And they can hide their behavior very well. So if they didn't know they were doing it and couldn't help it, it would be done to everyone. That makes sense. Well, let's just skip to the part where how did you break free of this what did it take what was your turning point like the line Hmm. there were quite a few lines um (laughs) i'll get back to the the cult thing because that does play a big part in in me being able to leave etc sure um i didn't grow up in a cult what had happened was once when our oldest son was a baby i did have enough and i did kick my at that point, my fiance out of the house and told him he couldn't come back. And during that time, he pretended to find a Jesus. 
and he pretended to get saved and he pretended that it that that god totally and completely transformed his life and made him you know a good and kind person so what he did in effect was used god and jesus to begin then to love bomb me again and go back to his perfect persona of the perfect man and so he kept up that perfect persona pretending that it was jesus who saved him and made him better for approximately um well for for quite a few weeks enough to make me allow him back home and then you know little bits started you know here and there to, to show up that he would just be like i'm just in a process jesus is saving you know jesus is healing me and you know i'm i'm becoming more christ like and all of this this so then i got married to him um we were 7 months pregnant with our second child when we got married and once again his behavior changed overnight again now i was married to him but not only was i married to him but now i was a christian like he was because i saw the supposed changes and said well if jesus could save someone who was you know extremely abusive and change him then you know i need some of this too and so then it started to be thrown at me that god hates divorce and that i would be a sinner if i left and i would go to hell if i left and so basically all that happened was spiritual abuse was added on to the physical psychological financial emotional abuse that i was already undergoing so now we had spiritual abuse added on to that and so eventually we ended up getting into a cult the same cult is a very famous family in the united states that has a reality tv show whose son is now you know under going under trial for child pornography but so this cult does not allow women to wear dresses they don't allow women to um have a say over their bodies they don't allow women to use birth control so that then became my life i was trying as hard as i could to be a perfect submissive wife because that was what our religious leaders said would stop the abuse if i was perfect enough he would stop abusing me because in the in the, in these in in this cult and in these circles nothing a man ever does is his fault it is always his wife's fault wow yeah so he if he cheats it's her fault if he uses child pornography it's her fault she didn't you know in in the case of of that you know the the wife wouldn't have monitored his internet use enough or given him enough sex or whatever but everything in that cult becomes the woman's fault men don't actually have to take accountability or accept accountability for anything that they do it's always just blamed on a woman and so it's it's an entire abu abusive atmosphere so so now what i'm going to say about how i got out is going to make more sense okay great wow <laughs> eventually after years and years of praying of contacting religious leaders of being told the problem was mine it was my fault i eventually just decided that i was not going to be a christian anymore at all and i was going to look higher than the christian god to source or the universe and i got into i started to follow my own goals um and my own goals took me it, well so before that i was only allowed to follow his goals everything he wanted i had to work towards i wasn't actually allowed to have my own so i decided to have my own and my first goal was to get us out of the location that he had moved us to he had moved us across the country away from all of my friends and and support system that i had left in order to plant a church because he had he was becoming a pastor and so we were going to go and we were going to start a church 
And so we sold everything. At that point, we had uh, like we had six kids. And so we moved across the country to plant a church. We ended up going back to our home location for a couple of years. And then we moved back and we had eight kids moved back to the East Coast when we had eight kids. And what that did was isolated me even further, but it also put us in massive amount of poverty where my ex-husband was refusing to, to get a job for any extended period of time because he would then say, well, if you want me to go get a job, then you know, I will either, I will leave you here and go back to the West, which we lived in Alberta. So, you know, eventually I stopped asking him to get a job. He would also tell me my faith wasn't in God. If I was trying to get him to get a job, then I didn't have enough faith in God, you know, and that there were too many, uh, he would call them principalities and powers over the area. So he could not work. So, So here we had, you know, up to now, you know, up to 13 kids, together than my oldest and he refused to work. So I eventually started a business because he refused to work and I, we needed money. (laughs) You know, we definitely needed money. So I started a business and it eventually, even though I was being told by our religious community that that meant I was a Jezebel and I wasn't trusting my husband enough. And if I, you know, I had contacted one of these religious leaders at one point and said, okay, so what am I supposed to do if my husband refuses to work. And the religious leader responded that if my husband refuses to refuse to work, I needed to submit and just make ends meet on what money was coming in the house. So I responded back that I had done that and I'd been doing that for years. And his response back to me was, well, then that's the problem. If you stopped trying to make ends meet, your husband would work. Okay, so... um... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's, you know, letting you know the cult atmosphere that we were in, the religious leaders and and the advice that they give women who are in their in their religion who are being abused. So these women are truly they're they're not only they're not only completely and totally trapped, but they're blamed for every single thing that is out of their control. Their husband is mean to them. It's because they looked wrong, like whatever, like it's always their fault. So in that situation, you know, I was damned if I do and damned if I don't, it was my fault either way. It was my fault. He wouldn't work because, you know, I made ends meet, but then my fault, he wouldn't work because I made ends meet. (laughs) Either way is my fault. So I eventually began to move away from that thinking and I started a business and finally, my kids were able to have enough. So, you know, what that did was began to give me a little bit more confidence as well, just little bit by little bit by little bit. And eventually, I decided to finally get us out of the area that he'd moved us to. Now, I had tried to get us to leave every year that we were there because, you know, we had no one. He wasn't planting the church. He refused to do that. Like most narcissists, he expected it to be done for him. He expected that the first weekend that we were there, he expected to open up the door of our house and expect a big crowd of people there saying, oh, pastor, God has sent us to your house and you are supposed to be our pastor. And when that didn't happen, he didn't work on planting the church in any way. So we were just stuck. So I I kept trying to leave, but he would block it. Everything I did, he would block and he would make sure that we couldn't leave. 
So finally, in 2018, I told him that I was leaving with or without him. Now, that is a huge, huge step in the life of a woman who is abused, but also in still in that cult um, atmosphere for me to just say, I'm leaving with or without you. And so I began to, to learn how to coach. I began to look into how I could leave while fixing every problem or every block that had been put in our place to leave, you know, the 15 previous years. So um, I decided to go on an RV trip around the country. And I had my the date set that I was going to leave. I went and I bought an RV. At this point, I still didn't know whether my husband was going to come and I didn't care. I really actually at that point was ready to leave. Um, I was ready to, to just cut all cords and just leave. And I would left, left leaving with the house and leaving with everything. And I was just going to leave with the kids in the RV. So he eventually, I did leave. I left with the RV. I drove away from the house and I went to land that we owned on Prince Edward Island to wait until the date that I was going to drive down to the States. And he eventually, like he actually ended up selling the house, all of the blocks that had gotten in the way of us not being able to leave before he fixed them once I left. And he sold the house and he ended up joining me in Prince Edward Island. But as soon as we drove into the States, he started threatening to leave me again, which is something that he'd always done. Um, it, It is an abusive tactic to continually keep the woman feeling like she's going to be abandoned. It triggers the abandonment wound that most of us who get into abusive relationships have. And I had gotten him to stop quite a few years earlier by every time he would say it, I would just say, good, leave. So he realized that I was no longer going to beg him to stay. I was no longer going to try to get him to stay. I was just going to say, good, leave then. I want you to go, just leave, get out then. And so once we were on this trip, he had figured that he could start doing this again, because now I was again in a position where I would then beg him to stay. Um, But what I did instead was about six months into the trip, I left him. How did you do that? Did you guys just, I'm sorry, it's not funny, but I just imagined you like stopping so he could go in to buy something and you just drive away. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't quite that dramatic, although that would have been good too. Um, I actually went to a Bob Proctor event and while I was there, spoke with another coach and she made me realize what, what had been going on. And uh, so I, get, I called him and I said, I think it might be time for us to get a divorce. And he said, okay, bye and hung up. Excellent. Yeah. Well, it's not that easy because we're still not divorced. Really? But, yeah. Oh, oh. And then, so I have a couple of questions. How big was that RV? It was 36 feet and it slept 11 Okay. Okay. All right. So you squeezed a little bit more in, right? Yeah. My, my older um, boys had a tent that, yeah, that they, they slept in outside, but we could actually fit everyone in the RV if needed because we had little, little kids right? Mm -hmm. were three queen beds. So if you turned them sideways, you could sleep them. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So on two, we had uh, two queen bunks. And so we, we had six kids in there. And then, but when, if we were actually in an RV park, our two boys, two oldest boys 
we're in a tent outside. Yeah, that's nice. Wow. Wow. After he said, okay, and then hung up, did he leave you alone? Was that the beginning really of your transformation where you, I mean, you'd already started coaching, right? I had, yes. Yeah. But something, it was the beginning of me realizing that he didn't care and he never loved me. I was just there. I just wonder if people like that are capable of love even. They aren't actually. When you, when you look at, even with their children, they're not actually capable of putting their children's needs before their own wants, which is basically the definition of love. You know, right. Mm -hmm. But some of your children, your older ones, did they stay with him or did they just go off on their own? Okay. So my oldest, the 30 year old lives, you know, in Alberta and she's married. Our 27 year old son owns a house. My ex-husband lives there rent-free. Um, I have no contact with my oldest son. And then, you know, I have seven kids living with me and he, my, my ex-husband lives with like my 27 year old and 21 year old sons own the house that he lit that, that my ex-husband lives in. And my 17 year old daughter moved in with them recently in, in the summer. So I have seven kids living with me. And then he has one of our underage kids living with him. Got it. It's really hard to understand the attraction based on what I know, but I guess it's a lesson in how you just have to lead by example. And I mean, you just have to keep going forward. What a transformation. I mean, you have so many tools to help people as well. I mean, I'm really blown away by all the training you have taken on. I love to see when you post your certificates and things online. So now that you have all these, all these certifications and you've had this experience, I mean, it sounds like you're doing great. You're focusing on helping other women like you, like you were, right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine that a lot of women don't have such an extreme version of it. Can you help? Help us to understand what a milder version of that, a less obvious, if you will. So I bet there's at least one listener who is in a situation like this and doesn't even realize it. Do you ever, do you think that's possible? Yeah, quite often actually. And while the abuse that I went through is obvious now, if you would have spoken to me three years ago, I would have told you everything was fine. I would have told you that we had communication problems I would have told you that sometimes he gets too angry. Women who are in abusive situations become, you know, acclimatized to it very, very slowly, like the frog in the pot. Right. So, you know, quite often what it looks like in a milder form of what it looks like when you're actually in the situation is you feel like you just can't find the right words to say to get him to understand what you're saying because no matter what you say he pretends he doesn't understand he pretends he can't hear you he pretends that you actually meant something else he twists it and throws it back at you if you come to him with you know with a request of something that you need him to do to show you that he loves you like you know stop joking about how fat you are you will find that he then goes and buys you chocolates more often or buys you your favorite treat more often. 
Um, you'll find that you're very confused. You'll find that whatever goal you make is very slightly sabotaged. You don't quite understand what's happening, but you can't actually accomplish anything you set out to do. And it always, it seems like he is, you know, getting in the way of it and blocking it, but you can't really prove anything. Got it. Yeah. You really just feel like if you changed enough and if you were able to say the right words in the right way, then your relationship could become what you've always wanted it to be. And you've seen glimpses of it. You've seen periods of time for a week, maybe two weeks, or even a day or two, or where he really is everything his words say he is, you know, because when he talks about how amazing he is and how honest he is, you see periods of time where he is that, but his actions don't always line up with his words. Most of the time he's moody and, you know, he says mean things or, you know, gets angry or throws things or, you know, whatever. But there are those times where he's just so perfect, so amazing. And so you keep trying because you want him, you have been ingrained that the belief has been ingrained in you that this is your fault, that his behavior is your fault. So you believe that if you try hard enough, you could get him to become that perfect partner at all times. But the reality is that you can't. The reality is he chooses how he's going to be at all times and it doesn't really have anything to do with you. That the more perfect you become, if you could change everything he says you need to change and he's just going to find something else. Right. One and this thing. is so, quite often, this is so subtle that you don't really even know and then, you know, when you get out, you realize just how bad it was. So I know it's quite an investment to work with Bob Proctor. And that was early on in this shift for you. How did you have the courage to do that? How did you figure out how to do that? Because that was huge. That was a big step. It is a massive investment. Um, I was doing very, very well in my business that I had shut down to move. And I owned the house that we lived in. We owned it rent or sorry, we owned it mortgage free. So when we sold it, it was completely free and clear. And, you know, I had as a homeschooling mother with 13 kids at home built a business that was quite prosperous. That's great. What was your business? Do you mind sharing? I was a breeder of champion registered purebred boxers. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Wow. You are so powerful. Did you have glimpses of that when you were growing up, you know, when you were dealing with your dad? I mean, generally, I imagine you were just wondering what the heck, what, what's wrong with me? But I mean, you just have so much power and you have to have always had that power. You've just kind of been fanning the flames a bit for sure, you know, but, but it had to always be there. So beautiful. I could, I could see that it was there and it was what actually helped me to survive for the 26 years that I was in this relationship and marriage. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. So when women work with you, um, is this over a long period of time? I would think you'd need to work with them a long period of time, but do you um, do yeah. workshops? How do people work with you? I have different options. 
Um, I have my free Facebook group and I have um, my Facebook page, my Facebook profile where anyone can follow that. And then I also do one-on-one coaching and I am going to be starting up a group in the new year as well. Um, It's going to be a 12-week program in toxic relationship abuse uh, recovery. During that program, we are going to be working on healing the, the deep inner cellular and nervous system trauma, as well as working on mindset and self-love and boundaries. Uh, Those are the basic first steps that need to be done. And then people can work with me further. I am, as they'll read in my bio, a master hypnotherapist, as well as a master timeline therapist and master neuro-linguistic programmer. So I do have programs where I will work one-on-one with someone for um, as little as six weeks. So six weeks to, you know, 12 months depending on the program that they choose. Um, We start with doing timeline therapy and hypnosis, which is deep inner trauma healing that works even with post-traumatic stress disorder and complex post-traumatic stress disorder, where we work with the unconscious mind to give ourselves the tools that we needed before the trauma to get through the trauma with as little damage as possible. And because as we know, those of us who work with the subconscious mind, there is no time in the subconscious mind. So when something happened to us 40 years ago, it's actually still present and in our right now reality in our subconscious mind, which is why when something similar happens or we hear a similar noise or, or smell a similar smell or whatever, we will actually have the physical reactions to the trauma that occurred 40 years ago. It's because, you know, it is all just right now. There is no time. So when we go and we heal the trauma and all of the traumatic events that happened to us all through our timeline, it makes today better. It gives us the tools that we need to thrive today. A a way of revising the past, would you say? Exactly. So that it's a memory rather than a feeling. So we can remember that that happened to us without having the trigger and and having the trigger reaction and going through the feeling of anxiety or stress or um, heightened response in our body and in our reactions, you know? Right. So let's see, there are a couple of questions I like to ask all my guests. And I think it's so interesting. Do you have a morning routine that you could share with us? I do. I do. My morning routine is going to look a little different, but I, uh, I wake up and I shower and then I get six kids off and ready to school or ready to go to school. And then I take my 19 year old son to work. And then I come home to a you know quiet house. And at that point, then I work with, with my mindset work. And so, and I will write a gratitude list and I, I will write my goals and um, listen to a podcast or listen to a program, uh, you know, that, that varies. It depends on what I happen to be doing at that particular time. At the current time, I'm actually going through thinking into results again. And then I, then I go on with my day. I'll do a little bit of yoga and go on my rower a little bit. Excellent. Thank you. And then one more thing. What is one actionable tip our listeners can implement to improve their lives or business today? Choose the next easy thing. Life doesn't need to be hard. Those of us with trauma who have been raised fighting for everything that we've been given, 
have a paradigm that life has to be hard and that the best choice is the hard choice, but it doesn't always need to be. Sometimes the best choice is the easiest choice. I love that. I, that rings true from what I've seen over the years with other people for sure. And myself even a little bit. Yep. Okay. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share with us? You've been so generous um, sharing your story. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right. Well, to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, I love you. Hey, before you go, I hope that you loved this episode. I would love it if you could do me two quick favors. First, make sure to subscribe to Next Level Woman. That way, you will get notified when the new episodes are coming out. So definitely subscribe to follow us. The other thing that I would love for you to do is to join us in my Next Level Manifestation Facebook group. This is an awesome place off the podcast platform where you can ask questions. I do free trainings and share very helpful resources there too. You're going to love it. And it's a great place to also find other women who are going after big dreams and getting great results. Links are in the show notes or go to lisahart.com, L-I-E-S-A-H-A-R-T-E.com. E-S-A-H-A-R-T-E.com.